0: Show me the money, with your host, Jane Luscombe. As you near retirement, there's a moment when you're standing at a cliff edge. Hopefully, you've been saving and investing for this stage of your life, but now you have to work out what to do with your money. Here's Jeremy Cooper from Australian investment management firm, Challenger. Let's ask ourselves, what is the problem? And unfortunately, and we blame the Americans for this, uh, Yourselves and us in Australia and, and um, the Hong Kong system as well—we're all sold a bit of a pup, in the sense that a defined contribution uh, funds management model is really only half the half of the moving parts that you actually need to have a retirement system. So funds management is is fantastic at building up the savings, and that's what our systems do. Yours and ours are. Uh, you have, a, in some senses, a better, the way Kevius Able was engineered is a lot better than the, Australia, the earlier Australian system, but it's basically the same thesis that you contribute over your working life and then you get uh, a bunch of money at the end, and that's what a defined contribution system does. And this picture of the cliff was actually the language used in our 2014 uh, Financial System Inquiry report. It talked about there, there being a cliff edge at retirement. So, in a sense at the worst possible time in a person's life, you're you're in your mid 60s, you're suddenly handed perhaps the largest amount of money if the system's working properly, perhaps the largest amount of money that an ordinary person has ever actually given because it's not tied up in real estate, it's actually money. And at that time they're asked to um, really even start thinking about it, unless they've got extremely good advisors, they're asked to make future calculations about inflation they're asked to think about life expectancy and longevity and stuff like that which which is extremely actuarial actuarially complex it's a time in their lives there's lots of survey data that very clearly shows that people's risk aversion when they're working is dramatically different from when you retire when you actually stare in the face at the amount of money that's going to uh, sustain you for the rest of your retirement you're um, willingness to take risks with that amount is, is incredibly different from a 40-year-old who still um, has uh, salary, you know, salary to go back to if, if something goes wrong with uh, with their investments. So, uh, it's a very difficult situation that we find ourselves in, uh, in these countries that have got, like, like us, you've got the defined contribution system. You know, how do you actually do the retirement piece? Do you just let people uh, flounder with these uh, um, amounts of money that they just work it out for themselves that leads to all sorts of uh, behavioral issues that i'm i'm going to talk about um, in a minute and in a sense the defined contribution system actually hides the uh, the liabilities that you you have in retirement so if you think about it uh, you, know, you, you could actually um, with the right maths you can work out the uh, the sort of present-day value, if you like, of all of the living expenses that you have in retirement. That's just a, a simple piece of uh, actuarial maths, I suppose. But the, and, and a defined benefit uh, system that actually promises to pay you uh, a fixed amount uh, for the rest of your retirement, which is which is also what an annuity does, the sort of under the bonnet mechanics of those products is actually looking at all of your liabilities going out and the The defined benefit pension payments actually are an attempt to meet those living expenses uh, as you age. And so the way that a defined benefit fund actually invests the money is aimed at matching those liabilities for you for the rest of your life. Now defined contribution in a sense almost pretends as if those liabilities are not there. It kind of doesn't ever calculate or try and match your liabilities going forward. Your system, like our system, just has a, a relatively uh, arbitrary contribution figure. Ours is currently 9.5%. But 9.5% isn't actually matched to anything. It's just been, uh, we're actually on a pathway going up to, up to 12%. but There's no particular science to that. It doesn't actually look at me and say, well actually, your liabilities going forward are X, and therefore you might have to put 11% in, or 12%, or some other completely different number. Uh, so notwithstanding that the defined contribution schemes don't, don't expressly engage with the fact that you've got, in a sense, a, a known pathway of liabilities going forward, they are absolutely still there. And the I suppose the, the really challenging thing for uh, re- retirees these days are low interest rates. So I'm not gonna go into, into a, an enormous amount of detail about that, but the simple fact of it is that um, as interest rates go down, the cost of the liabilities in retirement go up. It's a kind of seesaw. It's what the discount rate, um, discount rate rate means, and that um, creates massive uh, problems for, for the entire uh, retirement and uh, and pension industry. So that's the cliff edge. Everybody in Australia, at least, or everybody running a super super fund, thinks that this is the big issue. So if you walked around with uh, the accumulation sign, other than not at a racetrack, but at an Australian superannuation conference, they would all certainly know what it means and they would all tell you that it's the number one strategic priority for the next three years for their their fund. And that this has been, you can see it's gone up from 48% in 2014 and now 61% of them are saying this is the number one issue. Uh, Now we're great Talkers in the pension industry. The question is, of course, you know, what are we actually doing about it? And this leads me to my my slide about the aeroplane. Now, I've got to acknowledge uh, Professor David Blake in the UK for this one. He came up with the aeroplane. But it's basically saying, when I flew from from Sydney to Auckland, the plane I got on had a very, very clear mission. It was to get me to Auckland. And apologies to all the to any pilots who might be. Here be out there. My, my knowledge of these things is, is relatively crude, but basically the plane takes off and on a very regular basis, the crew are checking their ability to get to Auckland. So that's measuring things like what the weather's doing in Auckland, have they got enough fuel and all the rest of it. At any particular time, uh, for some reason, they don't think they're going to be going to Auckland, the plane goes somewhere else. But the, the clear thing is that it's, it has a very, very clear mission to take off and to land in a particular place. The difficulty with uh, the Australian superannuation system, and I dare say yours as well, is that we're just cruising at altitude. There isn't actually a plan to help you spend down, help you to accumulate your savings uh, in accordance with your objectives, your lifespan, your lifestyle, or whatever else. It really is just cruising uh, at altitude. Just, just doesn't have a proper mission. And uh, that's where we find ourselves, that's where we, we are uh, stuck, I suppose, in Australia. We're trying to do something about it. And I guess here's a sort of a, a report card, you know, what, what could we do a little bit better in Australia? Now we uh, structure uh, our system a little bit differently from yours. Uh, we, we, we adopt a, a trust structure. So we have superannuation funds, and we have uh, fiduciaries running those funds for the benefit of members. And the, the problem is that, and this does sound rather odd, they haven't apprehended their core business properly. The core business is actually the, the landing. It's actually uh, helping you um, spend down your money at the appropriate kind of rate while managing the sort of risks that you have in retirement, dealing with the inflation problem when you're just When you're just living off capital, inflation is a much much bigger problem than when you have a wage because wages typically wages wages can actually cause inflation, but they are pretty good at sort of keeping up with the cost of living. Your budget of capital is not, and so that you know any any decent uh, retirement plan is going to have a a strategy around inflation. It's going to have a strategy around okay. Well, what am I going to do? If you look across this room, we have a very wide uh, distribution of actual lifespans is another thing that uh, that people really don't apprehend at all. Uh, we talk about these averages, but the actual distribution of when you actually die is about as volatile as long-term share market returns. It's actually very volatile. So um, the uh, actually, it's really interesting. In Australia at the moment, uh, our um, our life expectancies. Taking uh, into account mortality improvements for males and females is 87 for for males. So that's the average uh, life expectancy of of today's 65-year-old, so the average person will live to 87, and the average female of 65 will live to 90. Now, we all get used to that, or people who sort of work in the in the industry get used to those numbers, but you'd be amazed to know that the actual likelihood that a 65 year old woman will die in her 91st year in other words when she's age 90 so the 365 days in that year the actual likelihood that she will die in that year is five percent it's one in 20. what actually happens is there's a huge distribution of of deaths starting at 82 uh, 90 being the average and 98 being the other end of one standard deviation to get a little bit actuarial here so that's a massive distribution so if i'm if I'm running a proper retirement plan, I've actually got to get that bit right as well. I've got to, I've got to not pretend that everyone's going to die at 90 or at 87, which is what a lot of financial models and plans and, and so on. We love averages as humans because they uh, simplify very complex things. But what, what actually happens in, uh, in reality is this enormous variability of, uh, of lifespans. So uh, w- what we've got is a uh, so the hard part is the retirement part, but our industry is structured really uh, as an accumulator and we've got to, uh, we've really got to move uh, into the hard bit. In fact, it's amazing when you, when you speak to Europeans, uh, a lot of European countries, the Netherlands, Denmark, to, to name two, you know, they've, they've got all this stuff pretty well worked out. And they find it very confusing uh, when they talk to Australians about pensions and superannuation. We, we're only talking about the front bit all the time. We're talking about the accumulation piece Whereas they regard that as being relatively generic. I mean, you know, they say, well, you could just give that to one of the uh, global major fund managers, and then you can spend all of your time worrying about the longevity bids and worrying about uh, safe spending rates. You know, how how safe is it to spend a particular percentage of your savings next year? You know, they're, they're all the really hard bits. So we've got some uh, we've got some heavy lifting uh, ahead of us, certainly certainly in Australia. And it's a, it's a, it's part of seeing retirement, uh, at least in part, through an insurance lens. Uh, that what you're really trying to do, you've, you've built up uh, your uh, you built up your savings largely, and now it's about about managing the risks that are, uh, that are out there, rather than always just trying to, to shoot the lights out uh, and to get higher returns. And another thing we've uh, we've only recently. Uh, started looking at this as a, a, a challenger in the research team that I run. We're actually starting to, uh, to look at retirement adequacy at a household level. Now in Australia, we're a little bit trapped in the world of member accounts because that's what our credential regulator app measures, what's going on in the accounts that it can see in the funds report, uh, how many accounts they've got and what's in them to the, to the regulator. We have a problem that we've got around about 31 million accounts in the system and only about 11 million actual human beings. So that tells you that we had some pretty bad administration at one point in time and that there are far more uh, accounts than there are actually people. And what this means is that the, the actual figures about what are in people's balances are, are, are not accurate. And we've, we've overly focused on the account we don't overly really focused on the individual, whereas in fact, what happens is that, in the majority of cases—not not all, of course—that that most people go into retirement um, in some sort of financial partnership. You call that a marriage or a de facto relationship, whatever you like. It's it's um, the majority of cases you have two people tackling the retirement challenge, and that that is a dramatically different experience from uh, from one person because. I'll use this price signal to sort of illustrate the point. So in Australia, we have a means-tested age pension. It's it's not like uh, your much simpler and more elegant arrangement. We have a ghastly, complicated uh, age pension system. Uh, But the price signal is that a single person gets roughly, speaking, $20,000 a year. A couple get roughly 30,000. So that's the price signal around why it's so important uh, to look at a household, because it only costs 50% 50% more to look after two people, not 100% more. So you're obviously getting an economy of scale there and then the proper thing to look at when you're working with uh, uh, retirement income policy is to look at it at a household level. And when you do that in Australia, you, uh, you get quite a quite a decent sort of number. So uh, today, the, the average uh, household in Australia, the average household, uh, household that actually has super has about $400,000 to retire with, uh, that, that's the average. Now, you can't go out and buy a shopping centre with that, but at the same time, it's actually quite a, a decent amount of money to defray, uh, most of those households are going to be getting uh, some age pension as well. So we, we heard earlier, Dave talk about the government annuity, that's the way to think about a, a promise from the government to, to pay your retirement income. And then they have $400,000 on top of the assistance that they get from the government to uh, to sustain, sustain themselves for what, in many, many cases, as you've heard from the life uh, expectancy stats I gave you, is a 25-year or a 30-year uh, retirement. And so, uh, in terms of our scorecard, then I've, I've, I've put uh, financial literacy and engagement. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of... Uh, a lot of ground to catch up in, in those terms as well in the society where financial responsibility for retirement is devolved to the uh, to the person in the street uh, you know we, we have a surprisingly um, low level of, uh, of financial interest in Australia there are people who simply are not uh, interested in this stuff and it's very challenging to uh, to try and remedy remedy that we all we all work hard, but uh, it can be tricky, and of course, uh, just like in this country, um, you know, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of work done in the advice area. But still, uh, only about uh, twenty or thirty percent of Australians uh, have an advisor. That that figure does go up uh, to a to a higher point where you're talking about just before retirement. But it's fair to say that um, you know the the amount of. Um, Training and expertise that the advice industry has specifically around retirement and it uh, still leaves a, a fair bit to be uh, desired Not that it's easy stuff, but we could certainly make uh, make a lot of progress uh, in, in that area and I thought I'd touch on We've uh, got a lot of reform going on at the moment. I think you guys uh, do that too, that things always uh, seem to be changing, but I just thought I'd mention um, we may be a little bit ahead uh, of New Zealand in this in this whole post-retirement. You know, we have got a two-trillion-dollar, we've ever written two trillion. That's actually got a lot of zeros. Uh, so we've, we've built up a lot of money. And as I, as I've shown you, four hundred thousand-dollar average uh, retirement balance is a is a pretty good job so far. So we're we're rapidly trying to work on. Okay, well, how do we get this dec- dec- inflation thing right? So the first piece. In this story is the uh, Abbott government's uh, financial system inquiry, which reported in 2014, right at the end of 2014, uh, which, which, relevantly, was quite a large uh, inquiry. But relevantly, we went right back to basics, and they recommended that we actually articulate the purpose of this two trillion dollar system. Now, some people, some smarties, said, "Well, that ought to be uh, that ought to be fairly obvious. If you've built up two trillion dollars, you ought to know what the purpose of it is." But the the, um, the real idea was to sort of articulate with a little bit more clarity because there are some who see uh, superannuation, as we call it, as a, as a wealth management exercise, as a sort of intergenerational, it's just another tax structure that you can save wealth for the next generation. Other people think it was about alleviating poverty and there are a bunch of people in the middle who, who weren't all that sure and perhaps not all that interested either. But, um, not surprisingly, I suppose the government has actually concluded that it's, it's about retirement income to either uh, supplement or actually replace the, uh, the state welfare that you, you get in retirement so that's a pretty good signal I guess that decumulation and, and, and getting a structure in the retirement phase is, is going to be a key part of that also there were some uh, quite tedious uh, i won't, won't go into the details here but some quite sort of tedious tax and uh, social security things that were blocking innovation in, in the uh, retirement space. So the government decided, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get rid of those things. And we'll actually uh, articulate a vision of, of what, uh, what retirement products are gonna look like in the future. And that, that was, we, we haven't got much detail on this yet, unfortunately, But, and they're very clumsily named. So they're called comprehensive income products for retirement or sippers. Now only a government can come up with a name like that. And I've been chiding people whenever I get the opportunity to to come up with a better name for these things, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. So what it is, the idea is you get what what we have at the moment, which in the jargon, in Australia we call it an account-based pension, but it's exactly the same as a Kiwi. It's just a managed fund account, just like a Kiwi saver product it has all the advantages of being flexible, people understand what they are, so we will keep that. And around that, we will, we will introduce some new products that are aimed at uh, providing a little bit more stable and regular cash flow, so possibly some form of uh, guaranteed product, maybe, uh, and also some uh, longevity risk protection. Now, that could either be through a, a life insurance annuity or it can be through some of these other uh, more complicated uh, ideas of, of having a effectively a pooled concept without a guarantee. So it's a sort of a, a self-annuitisation idea. Now these are really just crayon drawings at the moment. We haven't had the detail uh, from the government, but, but we know that substantial reform is coming. Uh, we then had the budget the other night, which had in it some some fairly major changes to uh, superannuation, which I'll talk about in a minute, and also um, gave us a little bit more uh, certainty that these, these SIPAs, these Comprehensive Income products, uh, were coming. And importantly, the government is now saying that these will not be compulsory for funds to offer. The original idea was that all funds had to at least offer these products. They, they would not be compulsory for the members to take them out, but all funds would, would actually have to offer them. Now that's been watered down, it's actually going to be going to be optional. So some funds will offer them and perhaps others won't. And another important change, I, I talked about removing uh, blockages, regulatory blockages. They confirmed that one blockage that related to a, a thing called a deferred lifetime annuity was going to be re- removed. So a deferred lifetime annuity for those who don't uh, lie awake at night thinking about these things is a is annuity that you would either purchase through your working life in, in in small and regular premiums or at retirement you would buy one of these things and it, it lies dormant for quite some time in your retirement and then late in life, let's say 85 or even older than that, it switches on and starts making payments to you. And so it's using two important aspects of pension finance. I guess the time value of money. So it's with the insurance company for a long time, and, and that, that, that the insurance company compounds the, the original sum and invests it. Uh, and then the idea of the mortality credit. So, some people who bought it or one of these annuities has actually died along the way, and their, their premium or their capital is shared amongst the survivors of the, um, of the pool. And the, um, the mathematics of these things is that the idea is that for a relatively modest uh, Premium, let's say twenty thousand dollars, just by way of example, because of those two features. By the time you actually get the payments, if you're still alive, quite a sizeable, uh, comparative to, to how you would uh, what you'd get for investing twenty thousand dollars to another structure, you get a comparatively more generous return. And what it does is it kind of creates a boundary, if you like, at the moment. Your, the horizon that you're investing for at in retirement is kind of unknown. Okay, you know you're going to live to 150, but you just don't know where where it's going. With these things, you, you will actually have certainty that by age, whatever it is, you'll be getting these additional payments. So it allows you to spend down your uh, liquid capital uh, with more confidence that you're going to get this kind of longevity insurance payment uh, down the track. So that's, that's an interesting uh, development. I think it will take... It will take time for these products to uh, to become well known and, and so on, but they just add an additional tool, if you like, in the um, in the decumulation environment. So that's what's that's in general terms what what's happening at the moment. There's a lot that hasn't been done that's that's coming, but that's the general the general lay of the land. So a little bit more about these sippers. Uh, you can really all this diagram does is it it shows that there are sort of three three things that are sought to be done. So the idea is you get this high and regular income out of the product, you get a little bit of flexibility, that's the, I, I guess the account as we know it now, where you can on one particular day, you might decide that you need uh, $10,000 for some dental work or something that's easily accessible out of the product. And then on this end, you've got the risk management bit, which might be inflation and, and longevity risk. So uh, we don't have much more, uh, much more detail on that at this stage. Now the budget was really interesting. Now, the big difference between our um, retirement system and yours is that once you get to retirement in Australia, it's actually tax-free after that, or it has been until budget night the other night. So you, you, uh, it was always too good to be true. So in the the accumulation phase, uh, the uh, earnings are taxed at 15%, and in retirement they become zero now for most australians that will continue to be the case but what the budget did was put a 1.6 million dollar cap on what you can actually transfer into the the tax-free phase and that so for a couple that's 3.2 million that's way above what the average australian uh, will ever will ever have in super and of course this is really i suppose to trim the sales of, of very well off people in australia who had you know, massive balances in the in a completely tax-free environment. It was becoming a little bit, um, I guess it was almost a sort of air of the class war, if you like, people pointing to people that had $10 million in their superannuation accounts, completely tax-free. Why should the rest of the economy be, be subsidising these people? And the government has responded by, by putting this cap on. Uh, also a lifetime cap of half a million dollars that can be put in uh, on, on an after-tax basis, again, so that's, that's cramping down. Uh, you know, there are very few people that can uh, drop those sorts of amounts into super, but they're going to be capped. And, and reducing also the, uh, the amount that you can put in on a pre-tax basis down to 25,000. That's just another little um, cap, if you like to. Uh, be, because if you move, if you think $2 trillion and a lot of it, well, all of it's in a concessionally taxed environment. So in other words, In the ordinary economy, people pay tax at their marginal rates. In the superannuation economy, it's either 15% or zero. As that grows, it sucks up an enormous amount of tax, and the government has to really worry, I guess, about what's the appropriate balance and so on. So I suppose it's a a problem that you get when you have a very successful and low-tax retirement saving system. But having said all of that, there's a lot of hysteria in the media at the moment. You know, super has been. Turn on its head, and it won't, be, it won't be an attractive investment, and all the rest of it. The fact is, it remains by far uh, the best game in town uh, in terms of, of uh, saving and investing. It's, it's um, far uh, better than, than sort of highly artificial schemes, negative gearing, and all that kind of thing. So I think, I think when the dust settles, uh, people will realise that it's still, uh, you know, still a very good system, and uh, only a... Uh, a small number of people are really going to be affected by these changes. So a little bit more, uh, a little bit more detail uh, on these, uh, these so-called sippers. I suppose, this, uh, this diagram here shows the effect, the orange part here is the age pension, the government annuity in someone's portfolio. This piece here, Is their flexible savings in the account based pension? And this I described earlier, I should have waited until I had this diagram. That's the deferred lifetime annuity kicking in there, the black bar. So you can see in the the case of this person, they've got the nice uh, age pension here, which increases uh, increases with inflation, and as they consume their assets down, they get more age pension. The purple bit is their their flexible savings, which they, they spend, and then later in life, they get the protection of the deferred lifetime annuity kicking in. So, so that's, that's the future that we may be moving to. Some people are actually moving in advance. So here is a, a schematic of a Victorian uh, government super fund that's, that's already uh, created its own interpretation of what these post-retirement products look like. So it's got, it's, it's got the existing account based pension, which, which as I've tried to explain, is just a, a mixture of things much, much like we would have in KiwiSaver and it's added as options for its uh, retired members, their ability to buy a term annuity. Uh, let's say someone might say, well, I'll buy a 20 year uh, term annuity. At the end of that, I'll, I'll get all of my capital back and it will make payments to me over that 20 year period. Or on the other hand, a, a lifetime annuity where I'm effectively consuming my capital uh, as I'm receiving the payments. So at the at the very end, when you, when you die, the, there's no money left. It's a, it's a way of uh, both getting insurance, participating in the mortality credits I heard about, I uh, talked about before, and also consuming your capital, if you like, um, bit by bit along the way. And so they're able to offer uh, that mixture of, of things already uh, in advance of, the, uh, of any uh, regulatory reforms. Bit of myth-busting. Um, as I go around the world, a lot of people, uh, because in Australia you're able to, to just, just like in, in New Zealand, you can you can take all of your retirement savings out as a lump sum and do whatever you, you want with it. Now that's not not the <coughs> setting in, in most countries. There isn't that level of freedom. And so what comes with that is is a lot of a lot of myths that, that Australians will will take their superannuation and go to the pub for a couple of months and, and then they haven't got any money left. Um, and that's simply not not what happens. I'm sure one or two people do that, but in general, people are very uh, cautious. Uh, they might, they might um, spend it on uh, paying off the mortgage uh, or, or upgrading their... We love real estate in Australia as much as you guys do, but we're heavily incentivised to because family homes, capital gains tax three, it's not counted in the age pension means test and so on. So there are many, many rational reasons for... Uh, us to focus on real estate. So myth number one is Australians do not uh, blow their super. I've mentioned the average household figure. That The myth is that um, really balances are still pretty small and that you know, the system is going to have to mature. Right? That's actually not true. It's actually genuinely uh, working um, and $425,000 is a, a very significant amount of money for, for most people. Interesting also, we're seeing a decrease in the importance that pre-retirees and retirees are placing on leaving stuff to the next generation. They actually understand that what they have going into retirement, their savings, a home and so on, is actually about sustaining them through retirement, and they're less and less uh, focused on leaving things to the next generation. I'm not saying that's not important, but there's a sort of declining relevance to leaving things to the next generation. Largely because, as um, as Australians are going into retirement, the, the so-called children are already adults themselves, and so because people are living longer and longer, we're actually moving into a world where there could be two generations actually in retirement at the same time. You think about a, a couple in their in their mid 90s, and they've got kids that are in their mid 60s. You've got this new effect there being two two entire generations that are both, you know, trying to, trying to meet all the challenges that I've been, been talking about today. And I've already given you the, um, the, the the fact that when you when you look at these average life expectancies, you've only got a 5% chance of actually dying uh, in that year, which is kind quite, of quite crazy. Okay, very, very quickly in the UK, here's the ebullient uh, Baroness Rose Altman, who's the UK Pensions Minister. And I just thought I'd paint uh, not only is the UK the other side of the world, but it's actually um, very different in terms of where it's been. I think what's happening is that the UK is actually, the UK and Australia are kind of moving together. So what have they done? They had a compulsory annuitisation system. So when you got to a particular age in the UK, you actually had to annuitise pretty well all of your savings, and that was deeply unpopular. Uh, regime, which they uh, they got rid of in 2014. It had an absolutely dramatic effect on the annuity issuers in the UK. Uh, it was a surprise announcement, so they, they announced on budget night and the next day on the share market the, uh, the share prices of UK life and insurance companies just crashed absolutely through the floor. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy to say that um, the dust has settled and a while a, a lot fewer annuities are sold now than used to be the case, they're still a very, um, a very common thing and people are buying them voluntarily and they're, they're forming part of the, the normal kind of retirement plan for a lot of people in the UK which is which is great. They have a thing called enhanced annuities where you are able to talk about your uh, whether you smoke and drink and how overweight you are and so on and, and you can actually get a higher Uh, You can can get a higher income by providing that little bit of extra detail about how many pints of beer you drink and all that kind of stuff. So I think that will come. I think we will see those more individualised financial products um, in our part of the world in the future as well. Uh, And they have uh, gone off and done some fairly adventurous things by trying to invent new forms of pensions, a so-called defined ambition uh, product, which is in between... The defined benefit which gives you a, a promise of for example you know seven times your your final salary um, and defined contribution where there's no real promise defined ambition is is in the middle i've passed legislation for these things but we haven't really seen uh, what they actually look like so i think the uk is, is becoming um, more like ours it's great thanks for listening join us next time for another show me the money Produced by the Commission for Financial Capability, helping Kiwis build wealthy lives.